Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to Revelation 7. We're going to start there. Um, But also, if you don't have your Bible, every week we put uh, the number number of scriptures uh, on the Bible app. Um, It's the Bible app, uh, formerly called YouVersion. Uh, If you go to that Bible app, um, you can just uh, click in the bottom right-hand corner where it says more, and then on the next screen, you'll see events, and then click on events, and then you should see Restoration Church up at the top, and then you can click there, and all of the verses uh, will be there um, this morning uh, as we talk about uh, kingdom culture. And the last couple weeks, we've just been uh, talking about and really desiring to create here at Restoration Church a kingdom culture, uh, a kingdom where, or a culture where we want to see the kingdom of God Come, a culture that not only prays, uh, Lord, have your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven, but actually lives with expectation, lives with that desire, and is actually uh, living a life humbly, saying, it's not about me, it's all for you, King Jesus. And so however you want to work in me and through me, have your way. And uh, over the last couple months, um, in all honesty, we've seen some pretty uh, miraculous testimonies. We've seen some lives transformed by the power of Jesus. Uh, we've seen people get into situations um, where they are being uh, used by Jesus to, to bring his life and his love to people. And we've seen freedom. We've seen lives transform, transformed. And this week, someone was asking me the question, um, what is a win? What is the win of the local church? What is the local church shooting for? And I know you can get like a ton of different answers uh, to that question. Like, well, what is our, our goal and before I get to that in Revelation 7, I thought about uh, a race. I thought about a, a, a running race, a, a race that goes by my house every Thanksgiving morning uh, that I get out there and I actually take pictures of the runners that are going by. And Cece actually gets in trouble or gets, gets mad at me because I'm out there quite a while and she's like, you need to help with Thanksgiving dinner, you need to help put things together. And I'm out there uh, taking pictures. And when I, when I think about a race, I think there are so many people that um, are running and there's different wins along the way. You know, here's a couple pictures that I shot uh, a year or so ago of this race. Um, there's a, a bunch of runners. Um, even Santa joined the race, uh, running down Central Avenue here. And not all of those runners are going to win or going to be first place. But each person can have the opportunity to experience a win for them. For example, some do run uh, to win. Here were some of the leaders of the race that were going by. Next picture. Uh, cruising by, and their focus is like, I want to get my fastest time. I want to, um, yeah, finish first. I want to beat all of these other people. I want to cross that line first. Others, uh, a win for them is running just for fun. Uh, there's my friend Ben, just uh, full of life and enjoyment, and out there with uh, a ton of people just enjoying a nice, brisk morning, uh, running on Thanksgiving morning. And some are running to make a statement. Here's another one. Running five miles with that costume. But I throw those pictures up there, and I ask the question for us, like, what is the win of the local church? What, as this community of people, what are we shooting for? What is our desire? What do we celebrate? What do we acknowledge? What do we say, like, this is what we are hoping and praying and desiring for? I want to invite you to turn to Revelation 7. As I was praying into this, uh, this passage came to mind. And this is just such a powerful passage, such a powerful picture. The Apostle John is, is seen into heaven. And there's a lot going on uh, in his life, in the life of the early church. There's a lot of persecution. There's a lot of trouble. And I, and I just find it absolutely amazing 
that the Lord answers a lot of prayers by giving John a revelation of Jesus as he is right now. And look at Revelation 7. It says this. John says this. After this I looked, and behold, there was a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne, and they worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanks, giving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. I mean, that is, is a picture of heaven. That is what's going on, I believe, even right now. That is what's going to happen uh, as we go into heaven and as we see Jesus face to face. There is this multitude that is gathered around the throne. A multitude from every nation, not just America, but from every nation on the planet. Ryan, can you turn this down? There's a little ringing. Multitude from every nation, from every tribe, even the smallest little tribes in the middle of nowhere that we haven't even heard of. People of all different languages, a diverse group, a beautiful mosaic of people who are made in the image of God. Heaven's going to be extremely diverse. And they're clothed in white robes. Clothed in white robes made by the blood of Jesus. And they're waving the palm branches, which is a sign of victory. And they're all focused on the throne. All focused on the Father and the Lamb who was slain. And they have non-stop worship saying salvation belongs to our God and they're shouting it out in a loud voice and so what is a win what is the thing that we're shooting for we want to see that multitude become more and more massive more and more people joining in that that big multitude worshiping Jesus a multitude from every tribe and tongue a multitude from every part of the world Worshiping Jesus. And what is interesting here in Revelation, every time it talks about the uh, temple, every time it talks about the throne, it's a picture of the most intimate parts of the temple. And I love that picture because here is this multitude not worshiping from a distant distance, but worshiping up close. Seeing the Father, seeing the Son, having an intimate relationship with the Lord. And that's another thing that we desire. We desire people to know the Lord. I don't want any of us to, uh, to um, listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew 7 and have that be true of our lives where he said, um, you, uh, they're like, Lord, didn't we uh, do all this stuff in your, your name? And he said, apart from me, I never knew you. That is salvation. Salvation is knowing the one who's on the throne. Salvation is this intimate relationship with the Lord. We desire many to, to have that relationship with the Lord, the multitude knowing the Lord. But also I love this picture because you see the progression of worship. You see people standing there and they're shouting in a loud voice. You see the angels and the elders are standing in worship. But then it says they got to their knees and they cast everything down at the feet of Jesus. There's a continued growth in worship, an increase in worship. And I look at your life and my life 
And there's always more areas where we can surrender to King Jesus. Where we can worship Him with our lives. Where we can lay down our crowns at His feet. Where we can let go of the things in our lives that, that we allow to control us. I want us to be a body that is all for Jesus. That is living with a desire to see Jesus glorified. That is why we sing to Him. That's why a lot of these songs are singing to Him, telling Him how wonderful He is. That's why I'm constantly challenging you and me to live lives of worship, going to the streets and the highways and the byways, uh, byways and telling people about Jesus. Our greatest desire is to answer this question with our lives every single day. Next slide. And it's this question. What is going to bring Jesus the most glory? In your life, every single day, what is going to bring Jesus the most glory? It's not you on the throne. It's not you who the multitude is around. You are part of the multitude, having your eyes firmly fixed on Jesus. And so even right now, what is going to bring Jesus the most glory in your life? What is going to make people not look at you, but say, wow, there's something unique about you. Tell me about this Jesus that you worship with your life. Tell me about this Jesus that you worship with your lips. There's something unique. And every single day, it's laying down a pride, laying down our lives, and saying, this is what we desire. Frankly, it's all about, our lives need to be all about the King, all about His kingdom. See, around the throne isn't a bunch of different church names. Isn't a bunch of different denominations. No, it's this multitude that is united under one name, the name of Jesus. And so that led me to think about a couple questions this week. When it comes to that, when it comes to living this lifestyle, when it comes to being all about the kingdom of God, when it comes to having this perspective that it's all about the kingdom and it's all about the one who's on the throne, there are two questions that frankly entered my mind. Are we celebrating each and every growth of the kingdom? Are we celebrating, are you and I celebrating any and every growth of the kingdom? And the second question that I had is, how are you or are you contributing to the growth of the kingdom? Are you contributing to the growth of the kingdom? And the first question is like, are you celebrating any and every growth of the kingdom? Are we celebrating every person's step towards Jesus? Go back to that running picture. There could be somebody who finished dead last in that race. But for them, it was a win. Because they got off the couch and they ran their first 8K. And they finished the entire race. No one would ever know about it. No one would ever see it. No one would finish that, be at the finish line saying, oh, you beat everybody else. But for that person, it is a win because they took a step with their life. In the church and in, in the kingdom of God, we need to celebrate each and every step that a person takes. That's why I love that, that there are people here that are getting comfortable praying with one another. I've heard numerous stories where people are like, ah, for years I just was so uncomfortable praying with other people, but because we do this week in and week out, I become more comfortable. And for somebody who is really comfortable in praying, it's like, that's great, that's great, but like, let's celebrate every little step. When somebody shares the gospel or um, moves with an act of compassion towards one another, stretches themselves out of their comfort zone, I will celebrate that. We'll celebrate every move of the kingdom, every way that the kingdom grows in our lives, and we're going to celebrate when people come to faith in Jesus. 
I frankly think the church in West Michigan, we need to celebrate a lot more and get a lot more vocal when we see people come from death to life. Too often, it's um, we see it as a little golf, golf clap, like, yay, they, came, they, they gave their life to Jesus. All of heaven rejoices over one who repents. We should be led to rejoice. And so be so moved to celebrate any and every move of God. And that means we will celebrate any and every move of God, any growth of the kingdom anywhere. See, look at West Michigan. And I, last time I heard uh, the number of churches that were in West Michigan, I think the number was over 160 just in like the Holland Zealand area. That's a lot. It's a lot for this area. It's a lot of different options. But actually, when they said that there was 160, I would argue that there's not 160. There's one under the name of Jesus. They acknowledge the name of Jesus. There is one church. And so we will celebrate growth anywhere and everywhere that it happens. You know, as people are growing in different places or parts of different body, we're going to celebrate what God is doing. Too often in the church in West Michigan, we can look at different parts of the body and become critical or start to compete and say, well, they're not doing that or they're doing that. And all of a sudden, bitterness and just ugly stuff can rise up inside of us. And over the years, I have actually um, made it a very specific uh, effort in my life to be all about the church, the big C church here in West Michigan. I've loved working with other youth ministries and putting together a winter camp where 15 different parts of the body of Christ come together and we put on a, a winter camp at Camp Geneva. I've made it a, a point when people say like, hey, my kids are going over to Central Wesleyan for their youth group. I'm like, that's awesome. My buddy Nick is over there and he's doing an amazing job. You should go over there. Like it's, they're doing, he's doing a phenomenal job over there. We need to celebrate wherever God is at work within his body. And why does this matter? Why do we have to have this kingdom perspective? Why does this kingdom perspective matter? Look at John 17, verses 20 through 23. This is Jesus praying for you and I. Praying for us. He said this, I do not ask for these only. So this is his prayer right before he went to the cross, and he's praying. He says, but I also ask for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may be perfectly one. Why? So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. I mean, Jesus prayed, prayed that we would be one, that his body would be one. That there would be unity, that there would be a oneness, that there would be just such a closeness with one another. Why? So that the world doesn't see us, but that it sees Jesus. There is power in unity. Because it's through our unity, like this is what Jesus said, that people will believe in Jesus. I mean, there's so much division in this world. There's so much many opinions in this world. Just imagine if the church was just so united where non-believers looked at the church and said, wow, they're from all different walks of life and all different backgrounds and all different races and all different nationalities and all different languages. But wow, the way that they get together, the way they love each other, the way that they're so united, there must be something bigger going on there. If the church would be united, what a picture that would be not of us, but of Jesus. Do you know every time that we have combined with worship in worship with another part of the body, 
have not met here on a Sunday, but have gone to a different place in worship. When we were down um, at the park this summer, the amount of comments that I received from non-believers was amazing. They're like, wow, I wish church would do that more often. Wow, brought together and like they were, they were united in worship. I remember years ago when the church covered their signs and it said, one Lord, one church. The number of comments that I got from people who were not professing Christians. They're like, wow, the church is doing something together. They're working together. It made them take notice, which is exactly what Jesus said. Pray that they would be one. Why? So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. There is a missional aspect to our unity that we need to fight for. Are you celebrating any and every growth of the kingdom? Are you celebrating a move of God wherever it takes place? But then the other question I wanted to ask this morning is, are you contributing to the growth of the kingdom? Are you contributing to the growth of the kingdom? Look at 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians 3. Apostle Paul is writing to a church that is pretty messed up. There's a lot of problems going on in the church of Corinth. Um, there's just a lot of issues. There's division. There's uh, people drinking too much before they take communion. There's people that are um, pushing each other away. There's, there's a lot of immorality in the church. And this is what uh, Paul writes to the church in Corinth. He's speaking about divisions in the church. And he says this, But I, brothers and sisters, verse 1, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. He's calling them immature. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it, and even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? And I underline this in my Bible. Servants through whom you believed. As the Lord assigned to each one. What is Apollos? What is Paul? Just, just servants through which the Lord worked. Verse 6. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who, whose waters are one, there's that picture of unity, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. I love that picture. Because Paul is like, only God gives the growth. Only the Lord causes things to grow, grow. But then he says there in verse 9, he goes, but we are God's fellow workers. Some plant, some water. Paul planted, Apollos watered. But it makes me think about all of the different parables that Jesus uh, said about the kingdom. And he said the kingdom is going to be like one who, who plants, who sows seeds. I mean, do you remember those parables? Like Jesus said, um, the, the kingdom of God is like a, a farmer who goes into the field and he, and he scatters a seed. Scatters a seed everywhere and some of it falls on a path and some of it falls amongst the rocks and some of it falls amongst the thorns and some of it falls amongst uh, good ground and it produces uh, a harvest. But he just talks about this farmer who's just sowing seeds everywhere. And then he goes on and he says the kingdom of God is like another farmer who sowed seeds into a big field. But then the enemy comes at night when he's sleeping and he sows the weeds into the, the field. 
And then another uh, parable that Jesus said, he goes, says, the, uh, the kingdom of God is like a farmer who, who sowed the smallest little seed, the smallest little seed, and it grew up to be this big tree. It made me think about this passage because here Paul and Apollos, they're just planting seeds. They're just sowing. They're just doing what Jesus said the kingdom of God is going to be like. And so are you contributing to the growth of the kingdom? Are you sowing seeds? Just a few thoughts on this whole even picture of Paul and Apollos just being part of the kingdom work. I think about sowing and I think about investing. We are called to sow generously. I think about the farmer that Jesus talked about and I dare say he wasn't Dutch. Let me describe that a little bit. He sowed on a path. He sowed the seeds on a path where he knew it wasn't going to bear fruit. But he just sowed generously. Just like, okay, here, I'm just going to throw the seed wherever you know I can. I'm not going to think about how cost-effective it is. I'm just going to sow the seed. Or in other words, I'm just going to share the gospel. I'm going to invest wherever I can. And you know what? 75% of the ground that he sowed on didn't bear any fruit. Didn't bear any fruit. Only 25%. 25%. For fruit. We are called to sow generously. But you know what? That means that there will be times when there will be disappointment. Because you will sow in people's lives. You will invest in people. But it won't bear fruit. At the end of the day, that's not on us. It's up to the Lord. We're just called to plant. We're called to water. But the thing that I want to encourage us with this morning is this. It's not the size of the seed that matters. The smallest seed, the smallest way that you are contributing to the kingdom of God can have the greatest impact. That's where I love that picture of just sowing the mustard seed. The smallest, tiniest seed can grow into something absolutely huge. And that's where we have to look at things differently than the world. Success isn't about numbers. Success is kingdom impact. And that can even be small at first. I want to close with two stories and a little challenge. I was talking to my friend Jonah, who leads and is part of the leadership team of the Every Heart Movement. And I was talking to him, and he was sharing his story actually with somebody else. He was talking about how the Lord really got a hold of his heart. And I found something to be very interesting in his story. And he said for a long time he was living a lukewarm life. Just going to a Christian college, just kind of doing his thing, engaged in religious activity, but he knew something in his spirit was off. He wanted and he was praying for his heart to be awakened to the Lord. But he just was like living this lukewarm life. And one day he got invited by somebody in his dorm to a Bible study. And he's like, oh, I'll go to this Bible study. And a bunch of other people were invited. But when he came to this dorm room where the Bible study was going to take place, it was only him and the other person. Two people, two people. But here this young man shared with him truths of Scripture. They prayed together. This man challenged Jonah. And it was in that small little Bible study that he repented of the lukewarm life. And God got a hold of his heart and said, I'm going to give all to King Jesus. And it was out of that meeting that led Jonah to say, you know what? I'm going to start this movement of college students where I'm going to share the gospel. And today, there's a bunch of college students that are encountering Jesus. 
Think about that. Think about that one man who invited, young man who invited him into his Bible study, into that dorm room. Probably walked away thinking, well, that was a failure. There's only one person that accepted my invitation to my Bible study. Maybe thinking, oh. but it was that one little seed that was planted that has borne more and more fruit. Don't ever ignore, don't ever allow the enemy to make you feel less than because they're like, oh, I'm just planting these small little seeds. You never know what the Lord is going to do, do with that. I've always been touched by this story. You might not know this man. How many of you ever heard of the name Edward Kimball? Anybody? There's his name up on the screen. Edward Kimball. Edward Kimball was a Sunday school teacher years ago. Had a passion to share the gospel with each one of his students in his class, in a Sunday school class that was made up of teenage boys. That was a brutal class at that. He had one student that he was really troubled over. It was a student who made shoes and worked in a shoe store. So he went to this store and shared the gospel with this young man. And he actually gave his life to Jesus. That young man was named Dwight L. Moody, who went on to be an evangelist and share the gospel all around the known world. Become one of the greatest evangelists one day when Dwight L. Moody was speaking and he was sharing a story about his Sunday school teacher that shared the gospel with him, this man was so convicted and he himself became an evangelist. That man's name was Frederick Meyer. When speaking, a young man, Frederick Meyer, went on to share the gospel. Frederick Meyer shared the gospel and another man heard the gospel and his life was changed. His name was J. Wilbur Chapman. Maybe a name that you have heard. Maybe you haven't heard of his name. But at one of his meetings, he went on to share the gospel. A young man named Billy Sunday was changed. Billy Sunday then followed uh, Wilbur Chapman all around, learning how to preach, learning how to share the gospel. And um, at one of Billy Sunday's meetings, a man by the name of Mordecai Ham responded to the gospel and gave his life to Jesus. There was a group of business leaders down in North Carolina who invited Mordecai Ham to share the gospel. And it was at that event that a young 16-year-old gave his life to Jesus. His name was Billy Graham. Think about it. Edward Kimball. Go back to his name. One man planted a seed in the life of a teenage boy. And that seed... You never know. You never know. So we got to keep contributing to the kingdom of God. we got to keep planting those seeds. And here's a picture of Edward Kimball. You can't see it, but on the bottom, it says Edward Kimball, church helper, comma, who died yesterday. And that man is great in the kingdom. Great in the kingdom. But this world never would know about. The kingdom is constantly advancing. And often it is advancing through small ways. Are you contributing to that kingdom? I ran across this quote. And the worship team can even come up. It was online and it said this. It is possible to have a life that doesn't appear fruitful to the world. 
but is fruitful towards God. This is the foolishness of the cross. The cross looks like failure, but it is the greatest act of faithfulness, which has led to incalculable fruitfulness. We are not after worldly success or what looks success to the world. We're after kingdom success, faithfulness, obedience. Are you contributing to the growth of the kingdom? And where are you contributing to the growth of the kingdom? You know, I look at that picture in 1 Corinthians 3 and it says, Paul planted. Paul planted. He planted a seed. Apollos watered. Without planting, you don't get anything. Without planting, if you just come along, along and water, all you get is a pile of mud. If you plant and you don't water, the seed never grows. We need both. There were people in the first century that were arguing over garden tools. A hose or a spade. One that plants or one that waters. And I think so often we get caught up in these trivial matters and we're competing with one another or we're critiquing one another when the Lord is just saying, just invest in my kingdom. Just contribute. Just plant a seed. Encourage one another. Do the work that God has set in front of you. I look around this room and what would happen if all of us just lived that way? Wherever we were at contributed to the growth of the kingdom. But it starts with being uncomfortable. It starts with us getting out of the way. It starts with us saying, you know what? The win of my life is not for people to see me. The win of my life is for people to see King Jesus. To see Him lifted up. To see others join that multitude in worship of King Jesus. And I just want to look at each one of you and say, you know what? With the Holy Spirit in you, don't ever doubt what the Lord wants to do through you. Don't disqualify yourself. Don't think of yourself less than. Don't compare yourself. Don't compare yourself to those fast runners. Just keep taking a step. Be faithful. Be obedient. And you never know what the Lord is going to do through your obedience, through your faithfulness. But it starts with a life laid down, a life with the willingness and the desire just to see King Jesus exalted. We're going to close our service with two different two different ways there's going to be a song that we've never sung here some of you guys know it. it's called the missionary anthem and this is just a declaration a proclamation of our desire and that's just to see Jesus lifted high but also as we're singing this song I would love the opportunity uh, to pray with people and pray for people and so maybe you feel disqualified or unqualified to engage in kingdom work. Maybe you feel like there was somebody who said something to you that disqualified you or felt like, oh, I don't have any value. Maybe you've allowed some lies to um, take root in your life. And you're sitting on the sidelines. The Lord wants you in the game. And I would love the opportunity to pray with you. And so, um, I would love, and we did this a couple weeks ago, Where's Danette? Can you go in the back corner and be willing to pray with people? Can you grab somebody? Mike, can you grab somebody to pray with in that back corner? And then Rick and I will be up here. See how I didn't ask you? I just told you. We're going to be up here. If you're like, yeah, here I am, Lord. I want to be used by you. But something is standing in the way. We'd love to pray for you. So let's stand together. And this song will become familiar as we sing it. Let this be a declaration of our hearts that we just want Jesus to be glorified.